0: And welcome to the initial edition of the Naval Air Podcast. My name is Mike and I'll be your host. The purpose of this podcast, or the reason why I'm getting it started, is as a means to make some sort of recording of a time in naval aviation history where all we had was pictures, uh, some videotape, not as much as they have nowadays where just about everything is documented in film, video, digital photography, things like that. I'm going to try to capture stories that I used to tell through the years of my time as a naval air crewman. Hope to eventually include pilots, maintainers, those folks, because this is for naval aviation as a whole. But I have to start somewhere, and I'm going to start with myself and what I know and what I did. Just to let you know, this is specifically starting with naval aviation in the early 80s. That's when I was in the Navy, and that's when I was a Naval Air Crewman. My Navy rating was an AW. Aviation Anti Submarine Warfare Operator was the full name. It's had a couple name changes since then, but that was it back then. Yeah, so I don't really want to make it all about me. I want to eventually make it about just about anybody who's willing to contribute an oral history to this project, it would be nice to have a catalog of the various epochs or eras of naval aviation, starting back in, what was that, 1911, when that guy, I can't remember his name, and I'm going to embarrass myself, the guy that flew that first airplane off the converted coal carrier. Yeah, 1986, naval aviation celebrated its diamond anniversary in its 75 years, so uh, just last year, 95 years and we're in just five well four more years we'll have 100 years of naval aviation. So anyway, we're going to try to catalog some of that and we're going to try to make it interesting along the way. Right now the my goal is to start from the top essentially. I'm going to talk about what I did, how I did it, the training that the navy put me through the things they expected me to do, the things they expected people in my similar job to do. And hopefully, like I said earlier, as we go along, we'll start collecting other people who will give their input, what it was like for them. And it'll be nice to, like I said, start at night Well, I don't think we got anybody from 1911, but, you know, from back then to now, you know, present day, because I pretty much guarantee you that the way I went through and the way people go through now to do the same job is very different. And I'm sure that when I was doing it in the early 80s, people who did it in the 60s was much different. So anyway, so to apply some structure to this whole thing, my intention is to start with kind of giving you an overview of what we called the pipeline for an AW. Again, AW being the two letter designation of my particular job in the Navy, Uh, every job or M.O.S. or N.E.C. or whatever term you want to apply And the Navy had a two letter designation so you could have your job in your rank all spelled out really quick. It was it made pretty much good sense to me. So but I won't go into that because you can look that up in Wikipedia or other places and you can learn how to do that. But anyway, so my road to being a naval air crewman and an A.W. started out with basic training I have, don't want to tell you about basic training either, because there's plenty of places where you can learn about that, but I do think it is relevant for you to for me to relate to you how I ended up becoming or picking AW as my choice of job when I was on active duty in the United States Navy. Uh, in 1981, uh, during senior year in high school, my best friend and I, we were figuring out that the military was gonna be the best choice for us after graduation. Neither of us had saved money for college. Neither of our parents had saved money for college. Neither of us were really kind of motivated to go to college. So it's either that you know it's either bag groceries or, you know, take a stab at joining the military. So that's that's what we came to our conclusion. And uh right away we kinda of left the Marine Corps off the list because neither of us figured we could hack what it took to be in the Corps. Um, <laughs> you know, come to, <laughs> come to think of it, you know, that was a mistake because, not a mistake, a mistake in judgment because some of the stuff I did, I'm pretty sure was tougher than Marine Corps basic training. Um, all right, so the Corps was out. We decided we're going to check in with the Air Force first because we both had an interest in aviation um, and we wanted to do that. So we go visit an Air Force recruiter. He gives us an ASVAB test. Gets his scores and comes has us sit down and starts showing us the most boring things that we could do with our life in the Air Force. And and the first thing on his list was missile silo crew member. You know, a guy goes down into a hole in the ground for so many days at a time with three or four other people. And with your finger hovering over the button waiting for the president to give you the launch order, you know. Uh, That didn't sound appealing to either of us, and the list went down from there, and not a single mention of working on an airplane for the United States Air Force. It was kind of ironic. The next stop was the Army. My buddy was not all that keen on the Army, but I was actually I had I had dreams of being a pilot, a pilot in the military, and I knew that the Army would give someone without a college degree a chance to be a pilot. They had a warrant officer flight training program and all you needed was a high school diploma and an aptitude to fly. They would do it for you, right? Well, my buddy, he was not all that uh, interested in the Army. Um, The main reason for that was that the, the Army wasn't as good at, at that time anyway, at guaranteeing the MOS or providing you the training in the MOS you chose. Whereas the Navy, being that the only one left, uh, was sitting there across the hall saying, yeah, we can guarantee you uh, aviation training, we, well, training in the aviation field. Um, we can guarantee this, we can guarantee that. You look through our book of jobs, you know, AD, Jet Engine Mechanic, AT, Aviation Electronics Technician, AE, Aviation Electrician's Mate. Pick a job, we'll send you to the school for that job. Here's the contract. They'd type it up for you and everything. So that really kind of got my buddy's interest. He really wanted to learn some electronic stuff, and they were going to guarantee him electronic school. And if he uh, and they had a, an advanced electronic school, where if you sign up for six years, as opposed to the standard four at the time, they would give you some seriously intense, long two years worth of electronics training, um, and you'd be set for life, I guess. After you got out, did you have all this great electronics knowledge? So he turns to me and asks me what my story was after he sold my buddy on the the advanced electronics stuff, and I was still trying to kind of figure out what I wanted. I was uh, I still wanted to fly, you know. So I said to him, I said, "I'm open to fly because well, we only let officers uh, pilot aircraft." And I said to him, "Well, I'm not exactly sure. Well, I think I'll be satisfied if I'm not necessarily at the controls. Just get me in the air." Oh, we got a job for you. Here, read this, and he gives me the book. Flips to the page for A.W. and you read the one-page description of the things you're going to do: detect, localize, track, and if so, directed destroy enemy submarines using various sensors and equipment. Blah blah blah. But it says right there includes the duty includes flying. They it, their term was "diff crew, duty involving flight. Okay, that sounds fine for me. All I saw was that I was going to get to go fly, having no clue as to what or where. So I signed my name on the dotted line. We went to basic training some five months later. And next thing you know, I'm starting the pipeline. And the pipeline is the term we used for the training. Sequence the sequence of training schools and the things you did on your path to becoming an a, and becoming an AW and ultimately enable air crewman. So back then, it, now now we're into 1982, actually blurring into 1983, um, finishing basic training in January, and I'm in the pipeline for being a, being becoming an AW. And the first stop after basic training was Naval Air Crewman Candidate School. And Naval Air Crewman Candidate School is in Pensacola, Florida, and the course was five weeks long. After Naval Air Crewman Candidate School, we were sent to Memphis, Tennessee, actually a little town outside of Memphis called Millington. And in Millington was the Naval Air Technical Training Center. And all those aviation jobs I mentioned before, A-T, A-D, A-E, they all went to Millington, to learn their job. So that meant 98% of the people in Millington had just finished basic training. So it was almost kind of like an extension of basic training and mentality and attitude and stuff like that. Um, And the, and at the Naval Air Technical Training Center for in Millington was the AWA school. And AWA school was approximately 12 weeks long and it was prefaced by what they called an aviation fundamentals course, which is a self-paced computer, computer, you sat at little computers and took these tests, um, self-paced materials that you had. For, actually, had two weeks to do it, but anybody with half a brain could really do it in a week or less. Yours truly, three and a half days. Um, really, really spoon-fed and easy stuff. And then you, once you finished that, then you started AWA school. Which had a long list of. Uh, well, we'll get into when we do the A school show. I'll give you the details on that. After A school, um, you were afforded some vacation. You'd earned some vacation. I took my opportunity. Um, but the next, your next duty station or your next training after A school, was really dependent upon what what aircraft you got assigned. While you were in. A- AWA school. At some point, the various representatives, shall we say, from from the various uh, anti-submarine warfare communities, the you know the naval air anti-submarine warfare communities, would come and give their pitch. And at that time, in early 1983, there was four choices for the aspiring AW. There was four choices of his platform or community or type aircraft. They're all interchangeable terms. Um. You had P3s, which was also known as VP, V for fixed wing, P for patrol. All right, so the P3 aircraft was built by Lockheed. It was a four-engine maritime patrol aircraft, long range, long time up in the air, 12-hour flights. Uh, The engines were turboprops, and it was a land-based aircraft. And it had a crew 11, 12, 13, something like that. The next community platform was were s3s also called vs Uh, the vs squadrons or s3s were four person jets and they flew off of carriers and they were jets not of the fast-moving type but more of the slow-moving loitering type Um, if you ever see a picture of an s3 you'll see that the jet engines on an s3 look like the type of engines you'd find on an airliner okay big high bypass um engines. The nickname of the aircraft was Hoover because the engines made sounds like vacuum cleaners once in a while. Um, uh, Four four crew, two pilots, a tactical coordinating officer, and the AW, and a a bunch of computer equipment and other stuff to look for submarines. And then your next two choices were helicopters. Um, The H-3, which was a carrier-based large helicopter, a crew of four, when it was configured for anti submarine warfare. Um, and then a smaller aircraft also with a crew of three called an H-2. The H-3 was also called the HS community or the HS platform. And the H-2 being smaller was called the HSL community or HSL platform. L being light, meaning the aircraft weighed less than the big, the other one. And the, the H-2s would, would deploy on destroyers, frigates, other small aircraft. Tin cans was the nickname of Parlance. Um, okay, so you got the presentation, and at one point after you got your, the sales pitch, you were asked which platform or community you were interested in. Now, not only did you have to say which platform, but you also had to give which coast, east coast or west coast, because the Navy's really kind of split in two in that regard. Now, the other caveat to making your choices is, if you have 20-20 vision and normal depth perception in your eyeballs, um, one of your choices had to be a helicopter. And that was because every helicopter in the Navy is search and rescue capable, and they needed to make sure that the pool of search and rescue qualified individuals uh, was maintained at the proper levels. So one of your choices had to be helicopter, And if you didn't want to be in a helicopter, well, you know, now you're taking a, you got a 50-50 chance of getting stuck if you didn't want to be in a helicopter. Now, my two choices at the time were HSL West, because I had to make a helo choice, and the big ones didn't appeal to me, and VS West, the S3s. I wanted to be in the S3s because they were the most modern uh, anti submarine warfare aircraft at the time. They were had computers and um, you sat at a computer terminal while you're flying along using that stuff to find submarines, so that had the most appeal to me at the time so I picked both on the west coast, so at that point I was guaranteeing myself to end up in San Diego because if you do i mean you can kind of play the choices in your favor it was one of those things well, if you want to guarantee where you end up you pick west coast this or west coast that didn't matter what aircraft you know you were going. Somewhere in California. But if you wanted to guarantee the aircraft you are in, and you didn't have the eyesight limitation, you have to pick a helicopter, you could say, well, I want S3's East Coast or S3's West Coast. Didn't matter where you ended up, but you're going to get in the airplane you wanted. Well, lucky me, I picked helicopter one or second choice and jets first choice, and I got a helicopter. Turned out the top three graduates of that class, we all got the same helicopter. We all ended up pretty much in the same place. All right. So if you get in the pipeline, back to the pipeline, sorry. If you are a, you're going to end up in P3s, your pipeline after A school is going to send you to the fleet replacement squadron for P3s with a small stop at SEER school, if your choice is S3, same thing. You're going to go to the S3, Fleet Replacement Squadron, with a small stop at SEER School. If you have a helicopter as your choice, well, you're going to go to Search and Rescue School first, then SEER School, which is spelled S-E-R-E, and it's an acronym. It stands for Survival, Evasion, Resistance, and Escape. And that's just exactly what it means. <laughs> it's a school to teach you to do those things. Um... And then after Sears School, you went to what was called the AW Common Core, um, and AW Common Core was a, uh, a harsh four-week refresher of what you learned in A School, the meat, and it was meant to really grind it in hard. <laughs> Sorry for the symbology there, but it was really meant so you—I mean—you can eat and sleep this stuff that was required to help you know find submarines. And do it fast. It was very important that you do it fast. So it kind of picked up the pace and helped you get through that. And then once you were done with AW Common Core, you actually ended up uh, at the Fleet Replacement Squadron for the helicopter that you were assigned. And Fleet Replacement Squadron, all the FR or the FRS, was really... Well, it had a term in the 30s, Replacement Air Group. Replacement Air Group, or RAG. So even though the Navy changed the name to FRS or Fleet Replacement Squadron, everyone still called it the RAG. So every community, P-3s, S-3s, H-3s, or H-2s, well, they all had a RAG or a Fleet Replacement Squadron at each coast. Okay, So wherever your pipeline took you, you're going to end up in one of these places. So the last stop you made was your Fleet Replacement Squadron. And once you did that and finish that satisfactorily then you got sent to the fleet to basically forget everything you did and start all over right because the way they think did the things out in the real world is always different than the way they did it in training all right so let's give a quick recap okay and this is the pipeline the AEW pipeline um, so it starts with basic training who cares Um After basic training is Naval Air Crew Candidate School, a five-week course. After Naval Air Crew Candidate School is AWA School, with aviation fundamentals thrown in there. Um, Approximately 12 weeks. The approximate comes from because the aviation fundamentals part was self-paced. So if you finished it quick enough, then you jumped on the regular pipeline or the regular 12-week course for... AWA school. After AWA school, if you were a helicopter crewman, which I was, your next stop was search and rescue school. Four-week course. Next stop after that was survival, evasion, resistance, and escape training. It was not quite a two-week course. After that was AW Common Core. That was probably the worst part of the training, too. That was just a grind, 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 grind. Anyway, four weeks of that. And then you ended up at the RAG, the Fleet Replacement Squadron, for approximately 12 weeks. Again, there was a, self, uh, a self-paced aspect to the Fleet Replacement Squadron. So if you could get your studying done quick and get yourself on the flight schedule, you can kind of speed up your, your, your finishing of that school. The only downside is if you finish too fast and the fleet wasn't ready for you, you might get stuck doing something... Not fun while you wait for your ultimate uh, slot to open up at your ultimate destination. Okay, now, now that you've listened to or heard what the pipeline is, with the with the training that an AW goes through, or not the training, but you haven't heard, but the the stops they make. Um, this is going to be kind of like the guide for the next few shows. In the next show we're going to talk about what went on at Naval Air Crew Candidate School, the first stop on the training pipeline for an AW. Um, some of the things they made us do, the training things, the, the calisthenics, the PT, the running, um, classes, what happened if you failed, you know, those kind of things. Um, and I'm going to kind of structure this that we're going to try to, we're, we'll talk about each stop per show. If it goes long, we'll split it up. My my goal here is to not really talk much longer than, you know, half hour. Um, so there, I just ran down the pipeline, so you kind of get an idea of what's coming up next, aircrew school. After that, we'll talk about AWA school, and after that, SAR school, and some of the crazy things that happened there. And maybe we'll have a tangent about that silly movie, The Guardian, uh, which is about Coast Guard rescue swimmers. Um, let me tell you that. The Navy's been doing that for many, many, many more years than the Coast Guard has. Okay. Um, Now, hopefully, by the time I get to start talking about stuff in the fleet, well, I've gotten some feedback and some people have been listening and some people, other people contribute their memories and experiences of being involved in naval aviation. And we can start folding that in and mixing that in and getting a, a, a broader and more encompassing view of what it was all about back then. And like I said at the top of the show, maybe, you know, hopefully we can get it from way back when to present day. Now, onto some housekeeping items. If you want to send me some feedback, which I would love to see, uh, right now the email address probably won't last long. I'll have to get something a little bit more. Professional. Right now, the email address is naval navalaircrew, all one word, N-A-V-A-L-A-I-R-C-R-E-W at gmail.com. Navalaircrew at gmail.com. Send me feedback. Don't like the sound of my voice. Don't like the subject matter. Love the sound of my voice. Love the subject matter. Doesn't matter what it is. Send it to me. If you want to send an email and have a sea story that you want included. I'll be more than happy to read it and add it to the record. Because, again, that's the ultimate goal, is to get uh, an oral record of things that happened in the history of naval aviation. Okay, so you have my email address. You know what to do. This is your host, Mike. I'm signing off. Please stay safe and God bless.